our customers are demanding that the security capability really goes from boot to runtime, right? What's provisioned at the OEMs that they can purchase, what's available already outside the box in the cloud providers, and moving from bolted-on security via a lot of security technologies to, you know, security just turned on, right? A trusted platform that you can be assured is is secure. Um, you know, across the supply chain, um, you know, those types of things would become mainstream in the board conversations. So how are we not having Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of having Bill Giard in the studio with me. Now, Bill is the CTO of Digital Transformation inside the data center group at Intel. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, I've been dying to have this conversation for some time, uh, uh, working with your team across Intel on all the amazing things you're doing. So um, we're going to chat today about a couple of interesting things. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, kind of 2019 and where we've come from, what sort of exciting things have happened this year across enterprise and all things data center. And then we're going to have a look into the future of 2020 and what's coming at us. But before we kick off into that, Bill, I wonder if you'd mind just giving our audience just a little insight to you personally, a bit of background on where you're from originally, where you grew up maybe, uh, any fun anecdotal highlights in your academic path and your career path to get you here? Because you've got an amazing career path and there's so many great things in there. I mean, you've been with Intel for, I think, over two decades from the last time I looked. So I'd love to just get a little have, bit of insight into you. Oh, well, thank you. So I actually grew up uh, local here. So I'm, I'm here in Portland, Oregon, right, in the west coast of the United States. And um, I actually grew up in the Portland area um, back when... Uh, you know, we have campuses, you know, Jones Farms, Hawthorne Farms, and, and we joke it was really, um, you know, old uh, Farmer Hawthorne and Farmer Jones, right, were the campuses. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I was here when Intel was just growing up uh, and emerging in a stronger presence in the, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, five children raised by single mom. I actually have two brothers that also work at Intel. Um, so we work together in various uh, capacities off and on over the last uh, 23, almost 24 years here at Intel. Um, so really have seen not only the local area change, but, you know, you know quite substantially the, the tech industry uh, change uh, just at a rapid pace as we've seen locally here, uh, you know, here in Portland. Wow, you've got a couple of siblings that are also inside Intel. That must be interesting uh, uh, with the com competitiveness that comes with siblings and who's where and rivalry inside the company. Yeah, and we all we all rate pretty high on the competitive scale, right? In those surveys, and so uh, that makes you know family dinners and you know work engagements always uh, quite interesting. But yeah, uh, one brother leads the uh, corporate gaming strategy. Uh, the other one is in part of our um, uh, you know uh, capital business, and so it's good. We get a well-rounded view of uh, what's happening at Intel, both in client, both in data center. Uh, and just in, you know, Intel as a whole. So it's always quite nice. We have to be careful, though, otherwise we'll uh, get talking to Intel and work when we're having our family dinner, so we got to make sure that we're not doing that. Oh, uh, I can imagine. I uh, I had a similar scenario when my better half and I both worked for uh, for a large corporate in the same brand on different parts of the business for a while, which is technically where we met. And uh, we had to have this rule, when we when we walk out the door, that's it, work stays at work, home's home. <laughs> but, yeah, that's uh, right. But you can always claim that uh, as, as, the, as the sibling that uh, is responsible for the data center piece of it, you effectively host all their stuff, so they're, they're nothing without you. <laughs> yes. I, I often talk about that where gaming is mostly online now, right? And I say, well, it's really a data center group that's running the gaming business. So that's often my response back to my uh, older brother, who's the strategic planner for our gaming segment. 
And you've had, uh, uh, when I looked, I think it was like over 20 years of an amazing background inside Intel. I mean, that that gives you some incredible insight into kind of where the business has come from, where it's going and where it's at currently. And I guess, you know, from strategic through to planning and then development, uh, just that finger on the pulse of what the organization's come from and where it's going to. Yeah, I mean, the first 20 years of my career was really in our enterprise IT um, you know, organization, and I support now the enterprise IT business, regardless of where it's, you know, running, whether in the public cloud or in their own uh, data centers. Um, and going through that time, you know, we saw quite a transformation around, um, you know, what was happening in the enterprise business, you know, from, you know, desktops to PCs to, um, you know, mobile web applications to, you know, really, you know, large uh, data center implementations and that move. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, you know, writing applications and software. You know, I um, often tell people, you know, I'm a, a software engineer um, at, at heart and at trade. But really the reason we build our data centers, um, you know, and our servers is to run software. Um, so, you know, I used to run our enterprise IT software development with our, you know, we had 3,000-plus applications in that and that journey towards, uh, modernizing those applications and, you know, moving them over to, you know, web and mobile um, and then their cloud adoption. And it really was that digital transformation within our own IT organizations that brought me to the data center group to help shape our cloud strategy, help shape our architectures and technologies such that we can make sure we're building the right server platforms to, to meet those enterprise emerging needs, both for security, for, you know, performance, you know, data growth, et cetera. So really that that growth and, and background the first 20 years of my career at Intel, you know, running very large enterprise apps, running, um, you know, our supply chain design systems really is what brought me into the data center group. I wonder uh, if uh, some years ago when uh, you were at Portland State University doing a, a degree in computer science, uh, did you have an inkling that this is kind of where the world was going or it, it looked like a good place to start at least? Well, for me, my, my thought process really was, um, you know, I just loved technology and I love, you know, where the computer industry is going. And, and it was clear to me that, you know, even if I picked a field, I could branch out into different parts of that uh, in that same kind of engineering discipline and grow. But, um, you know, if I'm open, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I, I realized it would quite grow and become as pervasive as we, we have it today in our everyday lives from, you know, where we wake up in the morning to where we go to sleep to how we pick our restaurants to, you know, um, the way that we do research. Um, we certainly knew it was going to be big. Um, but, you know, the Internet was just getting started in mainstream, um, you know, back then. But it certainly was clear to me that, you know, I could do a number of different things that were very interesting and, and you know, um, things that I could enjoy and be passionate about. Indeed. Well, it's certainly an amazing career path to, to watch uh, grow and version. And I, I suspect you've got uh, bigger and better things ahead yet. Uh, can you give us a bit of insight into kind of, uh, I mean, you've got an amazing role. When we think about uh, what Chief Technology Officer role is in general, we sort of have a particular view in the enterprise space. But when we think about what you're doing around digital transformation in the data center group, I wonder if you'd maybe just give us a couple of minutes of insight into kind of what a, a day in the life of Bill Giard's like and, and, and what that CTO role is like inside the digital transformation uh, space with the data center group inside Intel because it's a it, it's a CTO role is something we hear regularly but I think you've probably got a fairly unique blend of things that you tackle on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. When I first came to the uh, data center group, I, you know, I'm an engineer at heart, so I was expecting to be deep in the in the silicon, and I am in a lot of those silicon and software solutions. But I actually spend a significant amount of my time talking to customers and partners and what's happening in the ecosystem. So probably about, you know, um, 
40 to 50% of my time is actually an external. I'm making sure that our products and capabilities are meeting those, um, you know, those needs, either working directly with external partners, um, like we're doing with, um, you know, Lockheed Martin for security, or like we're doing with VMware and Microsoft and SAP and all of the big ISV providers, just understanding how our capabilities are being deployed and utilized. Um, and then I spend, of course, um, uh, a large portion of my time ensuring that our product feature sets, you know, are, are have capabilities that can address things like rapid growth and storage to, you know, secure, you know, boot and, and runtime environments to, you know, analytic performance and what we're doing with respect to improving, uh, you know, uh, neural interfaces and, and vector instruction sets and just, you know, low-level capabilities that then need to be translated into software, right, and, and what's our software enabling roadmap through our ISV ecosystems and how do we do that. Um, and then going back to external and understanding how are we bringing that to market broadly, right? Everything in our business right now is about, you know, scale solutions, bringing that broadly to the market. Uh, you know, unlike, you know, some of the other parts of Intel, you know, my business really is bringing, you know, technology to 100,000 customers, right? So I have to think through the OEM and the, um, you know, solution integrated ecosystem and the ISV ecosystem on, you know, what are those programs that are really showcasing the value of the technology that we're bringing in our, in our servers and, and network and storage architectures and, um, you know, then bringing back back through more broadly. So it really does kind of go across the gambit um, around, you know, what we're doing from a product and capability uh, and, of course, the people, right, when we're, we're talking about technical leadership and how do I, you know, really get the right technical leaders into the right parts of the business and growing that. So it does really, um, as I mentioned earlier, give me the opportunity to, you know, play a, a wide spectrum of things that uh, we can go address, So, which is, it keeps me busy. Oh, indeed. I think it's one of the most exciting remits I've read about for some time because, you know, as you said, you're, you're, you've got the ability to sort of be down in the weeds and thinking about the, the bits and bolts and flashing LEDs and data center infrastructure, but as you said, for hundreds of thousands of people, uh, all the way through to, you know, I remember seeing a tweet from you recently uh, with regard to um, uh, what was happening with the uh, Intel uh, Federal Summit uh, this year in Washington and uh, some announcements you had with Lockheed Martin. So there's like every possible permutation of amazing things in, in that broad remit. I would love to, um, so one of the reasons I want to catch up with you is I wanted to look at where we've come from this year and some of the big highlights that you've had across the Intel brand, particularly in the data center space in 2019. I'd love to sort of do a wrap up, but then I'd like to also look at where we're going in, in 2020. So maybe let's start at the 30,000 foot point of view uh, first as an overall 2019. What's the year been like for you so far? What are the, some of the biggest market trends you've seen uh, come about and, and how you face them? And then maybe some of the transformations across the solution space. And, and of course, we'd love to hear of any uh, anecdotal wins that you've had to, where they've been stand out. Uh, 2020, let's just start at the high level. Give us a summary of kind of what the year's been like so far for you. Uh, sorry, 2019, I should say, uh, 2019. 2019. Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's a couple, you know, probably two or three things that stand out. Um, you know, one, we're, we're very excited about what we launched with, um, you know, our Xeon second generation scalable processor, right, codenamed Cascade Lake. We worked a long time on kind of bringing that to market, which brought us um, really, you know, game-changing architecture with respect to data center persistent memory. Um, we've got, you know, security enhancements in, in line. But if I think from an enterprise, right, customer perspective, right, there's a, a few trends that kind of stand out. One, um, you know, the, we solidified really in our enterprise customer market 
the fact that it really is a hybrid cloud environment, right? There's things that were run on the data center. We saw, you know, a growth in our, our server deployment infrastructures just at the tail end, um, all of 2018, that flowed back into 2019. Um, and as we talk to our customers, the first thing they tell us is, hey, we recognize that, you know, things will need to run both in the public cloud, right, ever increasing, and on uh, their own data centers, right? So, you know, it's a hybrid cloud reality, right? Where, you know, probably two years ago, you know, we were in a hefty debate in the industry whether, you know, what direction was that going to go? Um, and so first, you know, that really got, you know, locked down um, to almost every customer and partner. And we see announcements by, you know, uh, Microsoft with, with how they're ever increasing Azure Stack with, with Google and Anthos and the work that we've done with them. And, um, and also, you know, Amazon and Outpost. And so yeah, that's kind of the first, the hybrid cloud. The second is security became front and center, right? We all have heard all of the, the breach, uh, cybersecurity, what's happening, a new increased penetration that, you know, all of the, the software and hardware vendors are, are, are really working to, you know, meet and address. Um, you know, you mentioned the Lockheed Martin one that really was showcased at our data centric launch, right? You know, you know, augmenting what we've done in, you know, you know, silicon improvements for, you know, things like spec of execution, but also bringing that up to runtime. Um, and so what, what I think we'll leave the year as is, hey, security really became mainstream for the CIO, not just the uh, chief security officer. It became a main conversation around how organizations are responding to security. And it's not just for the top secret, it's really required, you know, across the landscape. Um, and then the third one, you know, from an enterprise perspective is, really the maturity of um, analytics and AI, right? You know, how, you know, inferencing and training is becoming more part of the business. Now, it's certainly true, in my opinion, that for most enterprise customers, they're in very early phases, but they've all realized that that's an area that they need to grow investment in, right? So, you know, those three, hybrid cloud, right? Going to multi-cloud security, and then AI really became the three big inflection points that we saw just become clear and solidified. It's not just an emerging thought. It's really part of core strategy. Uh, indeed. And, and you mentioned a couple of amazing big topics. I mean, cybersecurity as a, as a whole has, I guess, caused people to wake up to the reality that uh, we might have been under a false sense of security if something was in a data center or in a computer room or a dedicated machine in our own office. We might have thought that we built very secure cloud environments. And what we've learned is that, that you know, unless we are on top of our game and really paying attention to it, that uh, it's easy to come unstuck and nobody wants to be on the front page of a, of a newspaper with a bad news story. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Intel has an amazing legacy of, uh, and a pedigree of building security into the actual silicon at wafer level. And I, and I see now that, you know, people may not have fully understood that, but for me it was always the case that if, the, if that capability was built into the silicon itself at chip level, that gave me all these performance gains that I didn't have to bring it out of the chip and make it basic instructions that were actually, you know, instructions in the CPU for encrypting and decrypting for managing secure pipelines and channels and copying data backwards and forwards securely. And I imagine that gives you a significant advantage over the market now that you've always had that capability built in and now you're able to leverage it, particularly as it goes up through the stack and sort of, you know, the software layers of, of core operating systems or sometimes hypervisors or more importantly, cloud platforms that from the hardware stack and even uh, additional hardware that, that provides more encryption, speed throughput, all the way to essentially, you know, refactoring code inside Docker containers and Kubernetes uh, in orchestration levels. That whole stack seems that you've had this competitive advantage for a long time. Now it's even more pointed and, and, and important. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, you know, the, the fact that we have such a 
broad set of deployment and ecosystem, right? We have, you know, a lot of people don't realize we have, you know, one of the biggest software development um, teams, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the planet, right? You know, doing, you know, deep kernel optimizations, right? With not only the mobile platforms and cloud platforms, but, but with the cloud providers, what we're doing in, you know, uh, orchestration and big ISVs, enterprise ISVs, and, um, you know, there's also deep partnerships that we have with, you know, customers. I mentioned 100,000 plus customers. You know, one of the security technologies that we were doing in the federal space, you mentioned the federal summit, you know, for the Department of Defense, right, and the missions work there really has borne into broad commercial security capabilities, right? But then also very, very close and strategic um, engagements with, you know, the big cloud providers, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, externally and Ali, and, you know, just globally. But with the federal government, with, um, you know, big ISV providers, and, and that reach and spam gives us the ability to really have a, a deep understanding of kind of the landscape and the requirements. And, and then, you know, the most exciting part is we have the ability to actually address it at every layer, right? Because we do a lot of software enablement. We build the silicon. We, we work closely with the OEMs to bring it to platform. And, and that really is a, a strategic advantage for us that we don't treat lightly. It's important for us to get that information, to respond to it, to act. And you saw that, you know, this last year with how quickly we act and helped the industry mobilize around some of those, you know, um, new forms of attack right on the platform. And I guess the, the great thing you've got is, that, as you said, with that depth and breadth uh, of the reach and, and, and uh, integration into the various parts of the stack, you're able to see that whole vertical piece. I think a lot of uh, solutions we've seen in the past where people have done little bespoke uh, pieces of it and haven't necessarily had visibility. Uh, as a brand, Intel, and particularly in your data center group, you can see everything from what's in the chip all the way through to the routers and switches and servers and applications up into the stack, uh, uh, depending on the level of security you give them access to. Uh, and it means you're in a unique position to help people solve those problems because you can give them that that microscopic down to the bottom end all the way to the, the you know, 60,000 foot point of view of the world and help them with it. Because I think, as you said, some of these problems are, are some of these new problems we're having where, you know, it's not just being attacked by a country, but it's being attacked by professional criminals. You know, once upon a time, the script kiddies yeah. used to be a problem, right? You know, somebody would just be a script kitty and run lots of port scans. I mean, it, it's a big business now. And, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric about whether it comes from one country or the other. But I, I think even internally now, um, competitors want to get knowledge about each other. There's so many different attack vectors and so many different profiles of risk that we can't just have, you know, this idea that we're going to build a moat and a firewall in the, in the old uh, Anglo-Celtic castle model, that doesn't work anymore because threats come from inside, they come from phishing. And I guess this is where cybersecurity has to be an all-encompassing, pervasive thing from language and vocab and culture and behavioral shift for the humans through to down to chip level. Um, I imagine that becomes quite exhausting for some companies, though, and this is where they come to you as a brand, as Intel, and certainly to you and your team inside the data center group saying, we're a bank, we're an airline, can we just stick to our core business? What can you do for us? Help us, because we, we, we don't want to be a cybersecurity company, we don't want to be a, a data center company. Can, you know, help us stick to our core business. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, you know, several things there. One is, we do have a breadth of insights, you know, depending on what they pull us into, but because of who we are and our reputation, we do get afforded the opportunity to get pulled into those things so we can see the full stack, um, you know, of issues. Uh, but the other one, I, I think you really nailed it. It's, it's the old perimeter-based controls where we put up firewalls, where your traditional data center um, attacks were sufficient. 
um, is, is widely recognized as necessary but not sufficient. I mean, certainly in the federal space, you know, post-Snowden era, right, everybody has an insider threat and attack strategy, right? That's true globally for, for you know, financial markets and enterprise. Um, and it becomes even more important as computing extends outside your traditional data centers, right? You're moving things to the cloud, right? And we've done great work with the public cloud providers, but also at the edge, right? Where you have physical access in your traditional data center, security controls are just not there. And so building it in at the server and the platform level really is the only way you're gonna address a lot of those things in edge and distributed computing client globally. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, we mentioned a bit around where are things going, you know, um, you know, ever since, you know, kind of at least I've been involved in, in the computing industry, you've gone from, you know, large, large mainframes to clients back to consolidated data center, you know, um, distributed out to more um, distributed computing with, you know, the, the distribution of, of personal computers and, and laptops where computing goes everywhere, then back to hyper-converged, large hyper-converged infrastructure, and we're starting to see that pendulum start to swing back right, where you have distributed computing, right, where you've got data center consolidation, then going up to public cloud consolidation back to distributed edge computing. And it's interesting just to see how those trends continue to repeat themselves. Um, and in that same vein, you know, the base controls for security controls, perimeter controls, the same base things that we've all been implementing, the, the landscape changes, but the, the one truth exists that you have to really bake that in at the very early phases and you've got to design in performance and security and, and all of the things that we, you know, have grappled with over the years as industry is, is just still in our face. It's interesting that you change so much, but you still deal with a lot of the same things just in different ways. Indeed, I think the phrase that uh, everything old becomes new again, uh, it comes at us all the time. Um, and often we uh, we forget all the things we knew historically and uh, we think that everything shiny and new is all exciting. Um, 2019 has been an exciting year for you. I, I, I imagine that a couple of the other things I'd like to just quickly touch on before we look at what's coming at 2020 is that there's been a significant shift towards software-defined infrastructure. And in your world, uh, you know, given the remit across data center group, uh, which has traditionally been you know big buildings and hallways and yeah. aisles, aisles of racks and racks of servers and storage and compute and network and security. Uh, now, in many ways, that becomes a commodity and that, you know, compute and CPU and memory and network is, is almost an API. You know, we talk about the API-driven sort of world in the space now. And uh, I imagine there's been a big shift to this demand for now sort of this software-defined infrastructure sort of DevOps orchestration model where we sort of see Kubernetes and Docker and, and, and a lot of the OEMs and software developers and their ecosystems are saying, well, we, we want to talk to you as an API. Uh, that 2019 for me seems that like that's probably been a, an interesting shift for, for you as, an, as a group as Intel, particularly in your data center group, that organizations are not just thinking about one IU pancake servers anymore. They're talking about infrastructure that's software defined. Yeah, I think we've seen continued growth in software defined infrastructure away from your traditional VM farms to really making sure that, you know, from a application deployment perspective that you get both both the compute, the network, and the storage all together because enterprises are looking to, you know, improve their release pace, right? They're, that's why they're adopting cloud technologies almost everywhere. And that means software-defined, right? It means, you know, um, moving my application to cloud-aware applications. And, um, you know, it's pretty clear that containers, right, 
Kubernetes orchestrated containers or the direction that things are going. It, you know, Kubernetes is almost one the de facto standard for infrastructure containers. But to your point around application containers and runtime containers that get deployed through Kubernetes, um, you know, organizations I've seen uh, really make that shift to the de facto standard is cloud deployment. We see that in you know, regulations for cloud mandates almost across various different industries, but also internal organizations saying, hey, we're going to implement our DevOps practices on software-defined infrastructure. We're going to improve our quality and improve the pace in which we release capabilities by using software-defined infrastructure, you know, moving to containers, um, implementing, you know, functional unit tests, doing all of the technical work in that way, but, but doing it in a way to really directly tied to measurable business goals, right? Hey, we want, you know, faster release cycles. We want, you know, improved quality and defects. We want to improve not only the the performance, but, but the, you know, the revenue cost to deliver and the revenue cost to run. And so, you know, it is interesting that that software defined is becoming part of the business conversation versus, you know, what uh, our engineers, myself, you know, included in that mix, you know, really talked about in, in IT you know, just several years ago. It was largely a technical strategy, uh, but now it's become a forefront on the business discussion that they're having. Indeed, and, and as an organization, uh, I mean, Intel as a brand has been around for five decades. It's, it's been, as you said, from the creation of the basic concept of a silicon uh, 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 switch to, uh, to today where everything is software-defined, there's so much uh, change that's come at you, and what's interesting is that as a brand, you're still quite nimble and able to to deal with those shifts. Um, and I can only imagine where we're going to in the future, because uh, you know I, I look at my phones regularly, and I think you know there's a whole operating system on my phone. It's basically a computer that just happens to make phone calls, and I start to I start to sort of feel like I should stop calling my smartphone a phone anymore because phone calls are probably less than 1% of what I actually use it for. And it's, you know, it's got its, <laughs> own, right. and it's, got its own CPU, uh, which comes from you, and it's got a GPU and sometimes FPGAs. And, and now we're talking about putting security-related chips on it and, and AI-related chips on it. And it's got this amazing camera and it's got this amazing screen. And, you know, people read newspapers and watch TV on it now. So, like, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I picked up a newspaper or even read a book. It's all on this little screen. And I think about where we've come from. Um, one of the other things, just briefly on 2019, that, that I seem to get a sense on as far as what I saw coming out of Intel, and I'd love to sort of get some uh, thoughts from you around this, and that is that uh, I think it comes from, it stems from the data center world that we've sort of had uh, underpinning all of our infrastructure, is this need for a cultural and behavioral shift of how we think about things from the boardroom and the chairman down or chairperson down to the water cooler conversations and everything in between, you know, whether it's the, the, the board themselves, the C-suite, the team leads, the business unit heads, um, all the way down to developers at scrums and agile meetings or water cooler conversations. It seems to me there's been this very successful pivot that Intel's brought about in behavioral and cultural shift to the way we approach problems. And 2019 for me seemed to be where we're having a lot more modern and agile and uh, uh, I guess flexible, fluid conversations about the way we approach challenges. And I see this as being something that's coming out of uh, not just the data center group, but Intel as a whole, is it the case you're seeing now companies come to you and they're not so rigid about the way they think about, we're just going to put a server in place, we're just going to put storage in place. Now they're thinking about what's the outcome we want to drive and how, how do we get Intel to help us drive that and how do we make that happen in, inside what the data center group's doing? Yeah, it's it's an evolution, it's a journey. And, you know, I think Intel makes um, great strides in in adapting and moving. You know, we're a big ship, right? We've got 
you know, $10, $15 billion, you know, fabrication plants, right? It takes, we have a long planning cycle on our product, um, but we're always looking at how do we streamline and make quick adjustments like we did for the security recent things, or we add new capabilities in from like we did with VNNI and inferencing for, to respond to the AN analytics. But it is, it is, you know, a constant work in progress, both at Intel and with the customers and partners that I work with to really keep that pace, right? And, and those, you know, how do you adopt those agile principles for very large products or industry momentums? And um, to your point, you know, really the key um, is taking small measurable objectives, right? Here, we're going to launch this product. We're going to go win this customer. We're going to go, you know, uh, you know, uh, evolve this business and go drive this capability into production if I'm an enterprise organization or implement this this thing. And those those small chunks and staying agile, I think, is really the key to driving those cultural transformations. And then, you know, um, it always gets tied to what people are personally passionate about, right? You know, some people are, are very passionate about, you know, helping, you know, um, you know, interesting things like genomics, right? So we've, we found a good mix to go drive new innovations by by putting things on solving some of these, you know, healthcare and genomics issues. Others are very passionate about helping, you know, national uh, interests, whether there's a people that are working in the federal government. Other people are helping, you know, doing that globally. You know, how are we helping the, the, the um, you know, the, the people back in, in China and Asia or in Europe, right? And so the interesting part about that cultural transformation to me is, small enough chunks and then connecting the work that the people are doing to things that they really care about. Um, and that's where, you know, for me, working at Intel affords me the ability to do that almost in every industry segment. There's not a segment we're not in. Um, and even if I wanted to go away from data center, which I'll, uh, I'll probably never do because I just love the work that we're doing, you know, I could go into the client. I could go into the automotive, right, um, and, and then drive that back into what we're doing at data center, right, and some of the sensor network and self-driving cars. And so I think that culture shift really is, you know, connecting people to technology and doing it in small chunks. And it's a journey because it's, it's rapidly changing, I think. Indeed. I have to admit, one of my favorite things I saw come out of Intel recently, and it's certainly uh, I was watching the um, updates come out of the, uh, I think it was Dr. Naveen Rao um, talking at the Intel AI Summit, and uh, I, I love the naming of the uh, the Nirvana chip, the neural network processor. It was like, yeah. that to me was like, somebody nailed that one. Um, well, look, that's been an exciting year, and, and, and congratulations again. Let's switch... Uh, focus to 2020. So you've had an amazing year this year, some great wins. Uh, you, you've managed to maintain an incredible pace across 2019 all the challenges that are thrown at you, uh, whether it's a cybersecurity or, or whatever the case might be and, and various things. Um, 2020, you know, it's a whole new year. A lot, of, a lot of talk about what we're doing in the next decade as well, because people talk about what we're doing from 2020 to 2030 and various things from global warming and various things that are hitting the world. But 2020 to me seems like a pivotal year where we now have some amazing technology. We've, we've, got, our, we've got our heads around the cybersecurity problem. Data centers are, are, are much better understood than they have ever been. Uh, as you said, software-defined infrastructure is now a real thing inside data center space. Uh, we're building bespoke environments with GPUs or, 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 in the case of Nirvana, AI-focused chips into the infrastructure. It seems to me now that 2020, and I'd love to get your take on some of the big things that are coming at us in, in 2020 as far as Intel's concerned, and particularly at the data center space, um, that we're now shifting from the, the gizmos and gadgets that will help us solve problems to the actual problems themselves, and that is that, you know, how are we solving autonomous vehicles or how are we solving health issues or how are we solving global or climate challenges? 
and it's more of a humanities focus. In your mind, what, what's coming at us in 2020? Where, where's Intel going to, and, and what's some of your group doing across the data center group um, and your role as CTO of that space and, and heading up the digital transformation focus? Um, what do you see coming at us in 2020? What are some of the big things we should be thinking about? Um, I think, you know, I'll probably take them in the same three vectors because I see those as the double-down commitments, right? You know, cloud technologies, you know, you know cybersecurity and, and AI and analytics. And I think... What we'll see in the in the in that ecosystem is um, the industry starting to partner more together on you know um, capabilities for you know cloud solutions. Right? We see you know VMware. You know certainly IBM and Red Hat merger was massive in our industry. Um, we see you know them working closely with with VMware. Right? We see Google doing that. Microsoft reaching out partnerships and extending that to Oracle. You know what's happening with with some of those traditional data center uh, solution providers working with with Amazon, and so you know first of all I start we we start to see people really committing to you know um, a strategy that allows them to go multi cloud right to deploy in multiple data centers. On the average, an enterprise um, a customer really has you know anywhere from six to nine um, um, you know public cloud solutions right whether it's you know, hosted infrastructure to to SaaS, um, and that number may vary, right, depending on the size of the business. But the short answer is they're using them everywhere, and so you know the the, the recognition that they have to work together, and the enterprise is starting to have a stronger influence on making sure they work together. I think is important. Um, and so you know, what I see and what we're committed to is really helping those partners. And to your earlier point, we work very heavily with all of them. That's where we're in a unique position to really optimize that. You know, hybrid to multi-cloud, right? Being orchestrated more seamlessly with Kubernetes, um, you know, in that ecosystem. So, you know, we have capabilities in our product that we're doing that. We're continuing to evolve that. You know, we continue to make announcements with those folks around how they're best uh, optimized um, on Intel technologies, and um, and then merging really analytics solutions, AI, in that same orchestrated framework, right? Um, you know, even things like VNNI to improve inferencing, you know, optimized central training, what we're doing with, you know, our FPGA accelerators and, and Nirvana to, to really integrate into that stack and make sure the applications that run an AI, as it moves from an emerging enterprise, it's mainstream in, in consumer, right? You, you use it every day with Siri and, you know, um, OK Google or, or Alexa, right? I mean, it's mainstream in a lot of those business or even recognizing, you know, things on, on YouTube or Facebook, but we'll see those. <laughs> I was wondering if one of those devices in the room would wake up. <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, it picked it up. You know, um, uh, uh, you know <laughs> that is funny, right? Um, the, you know, we see enterprises start to adopt that, right, in manufacturing, supply chain, and consumer, right? Um, and and so, you know, I think we'll start to see the merging of those two versus separate disciplines, um, you know, it, from a technology perspective. Uh, and of course, security. We're releasing new capabilities uh, next year for, you know, just improve uh, technologies on our on our next generation platform, and and um, you know that transition and, and cybersecurity becomes even more important and more usable. And our our customers are demanding that the security capability really goes from boot to runtime. Right? What's provisioned at the OEMs that they can purchase? What's available already outside the box in the cloud providers? And moving from bolted-on security via a lot of security technologies to, you know, security just turned on. Right? A trusted platform 
that you can be assured is is secure, um, you know, across the supply chain. Um, you know, those types of things would become mainstream in the board conversation that says, how are we not having separate technology initiatives, but how are they actually achieving what we need to do to reach these new markets or to, you know, um, achieve our, our business results that we want to have? And I, I think the patience for multiple big IT initiatives that are not connected, I think, is um, you know, really starting to dwindle. It already has for several years, but the demand to have all of those things work together and just run out, you know, straight out of the box and where you run it, I think is important. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I'm hearing exactly the same thing, whether it's a boardroom level or, or just in the hallways and so forth, talking to organizations. And two things really jumped out of me from what you're saying. I mean, security and cloud in particular. I'd love to maybe just to quickly delve into both of those. When we think about security, we, we've, you know, there's been decades and decades of focus on this from physical perimeters around buildings to physical infrastructure and data centers to devices that we're carrying around, whether it's laptops and, and other endpoint solutions. Uh, but it, it's one of those things that it just has to be a pervasive mentality. Um, are you seeing a, a requirement now in, in the organizations you're dealing with, whether it's your own partners and integrators or whether it's the end customers, that there's still a need to focus on education and awareness and just helping people be smart about everything from, as you said, from booting devices up and powering up to actually running some business logic? Because we seem to still have a lot of um, really simple gotcha moments where phishing attacks still work or... Uh, you know, social engineering still works. I imagine, and, and I'd love you to sort of correct me if I'm wrong, but is it still the case that when we look at 2020, when we think about let's let's focus on security and cloud, start with security, even just that fundamental awareness and education is still a real need and, and that they need to be looking at the right partners, you know, in particular yourselves at Intel, and as to, you know, what's the conversation we need to be having and how do we ensure that we're still not making some of those simple mistakes all the way through to ours, our data center kept safe? Yeah, I think you, you know, um, there's human interactions everywhere, right? From, you know, the end user with your phishing attack example to, you know, server administrators, right? And and network um, uh, engineers, you know, uh, you know, there's the social engineering piece of it requires us to be, you know, constantly on, on vigilance. Um, the good news is, you know, with capabilities like we're deploying with hardened security, we can mitigate. The, the breadth and, and reach that some of those, you know, if somebody gave away an administrative password, everything's configured correctly, everything's patched, but they just did not, um, you know, do good hygiene, right? You know, they, you know, the, the, the password itself was, uh, you know, utilized. There's technologies that respond to that. The good news is we can actually um, bring that firewalling down with into the socket, right? Some advanced silicon technologies and software that essentially gives you a, a firewall, you know, around the course, right? Cache and memory to, to isolate that. So even if you penetrated one VM, you couldn't get to the next one running just even within the same, um, in like, you know, silicon socket, right? You know, uh, and so, you know, implementing some of those advanced controls and having the right partners to implement those advanced controls um, while being diligent around that continued education, I think is really the strategy I would I would recommend. You, you've got to shrink the attack surface, defense in depth, deploy some of these things that can be just turned on without having to have heavy training. Um, but then, you know, constantly educate and engage your your um, you know your workforce on on the way you manage and the way you use your solutions. 
Indeed, and I think once upon a time we had to make a, a decision around, let's say, trade-offs, whether we had to decide whether we had wanted performance or we wanted security. I, I think, you know, hearing what you're saying there now, that, that those trade-off decisions aren't necessarily relevant anymore. We don't have to choose between performance or security. We can have the best of both. And I, I think that's going to uh, be ever more important because... Um, one of the first things we've always learned in cybersecurity from from decades of my own experience is, you know, assume the worst and build from there in a good sense. Uh, yeah. Historically, we've had, as I said, you had to worry about trade-offs of, you know, do I make it performant or secure? I don't think that's the case anymore. Everything, the, the, you know, the, the hardware and the infrastructure and so forth is, is so powerful and so capable that we now can deploy to places where we don't have to have that trade-off. Uh, we're now, as you said, looking at some of those design models and design principles that, um, assume we can make it secure just by using the right technology. If someone does accidentally uh, have a human hiccup by handing over some uh, data, or even if they were tricked, um, the, the underlying infrastructure and the design safe, has the safety mechanisms that you know, keep us safe from that. Because I think the risks are so big now. In the world of cloud, I mean, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there around uh, you know, what people are doing with hybrid clouds, public, private, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, there's such a big, broad market of competition now that I think um, one of the interesting things I'm seeing with Intel aligning with all the relevant platforms and all of the players is that there's this richness of choice. And I think, you know, we, we now have a situation where once upon a time we might have chosen a public cloud provider on price, performance or capability or regionality. It seems to me that now what you've been able to do as Intel particularly in the data center space with the cloud providers, is just provide such a plethora of choice that we can now choose workloads in different places because of either the type of service or the price point or spot pricing. Is this a trend in 2020 we should look at and a conversation we should be having as far as what we're doing with Intel and Intel's data center group in, in 2020 and beyond as to uh, cloud decisions and making smarter choices about where we put those workloads, whether it's private cloud internally with cloud design models or and deploying from Kubernetes yeah. and Docker or public cloud. Is, is that more the angle now as opposed to just performance and price point? It definitely is beyond performance and, and price point. I mean, it used to be cloud was all about, um, you know, price, right, and consolidation. And then it became about agility. Um, and now, you know, what we hear quite often, right, and, and we did, a, you know, some sessions at um, reInvent last week, you know, where it really is about what's the right um, infrastructure for the workload, right, workload placement. And there's really four key um characteristic, right? The the size of the data, right? You know, are you using it where you're producing it? Like for Intel, it's very important that we have our infrastructure close to our manufacturing line. That's true for many manufacturers. Um, uh, or, or where am I driving insight? So the size of the data and our ability to move it, you still run through speed of light. The second one, um, you know, is, you know, the performance characteristics. You know, do I need low latency performance? Do I need things, um, you know, close to to where I'm running, or do I need it externally? The converse of that is I've got a mobile sales force, right? I need to have my infrastructure really globally distributed so that it can reach a global sales force. So that may drive a different data decision. Um, the third one, you know, really is is security. Um, you know, as there regulatory compliance, we're seeing increased regulatory needs for you know, consolidated risk that's driving things like multi-cloud strategy, things like GDPR that's driving local data storage, right, um, in certain regions, even if it's in the public cloud. And then the last one is, you know, just the basics, right, the level of integration um, that that system may have with other systems. Most ERP deployments, as an example, have very heavy integration interfaces to supply chain and, um, you know, those types of things. So, you know, performance, you know, security, 
size of the data and integration still become the key four things that you know, really drive where workloads should run, and that's changing quite dramatically with, um, you know, distributed edge computing, right? With and you add in, you know, retail customers and what we need to do for remote banking or, or healthcare systems within hospital individual floors, and, and so I, you know, I think you know, workload placement is really, um, still at the forefront of what most organizations are doing, and then what's the right infrastructure to support where the, the the application the data needs to be. Indeed, and, and there's been some exciting things that have come out of Intel recently around your focus on one API and the, the ability to, to, to drive API uh, uh, models into various public and private and hybrid clouds, whether it's uh, OpenVINO for, for visualization or whether it's the other in the spectrum of the one API HPC high-performance computing yeah. toolkit you know, and everything between. Uh, I think this is an exciting time now because we're sort of talking about the API economy and when we're developing uh, uh, or even refactoring or developing new code that's going to go into Docker containers or others and then inside yeah. the likes of Kubernetes and then public clouds, that also plays into it. So I think that's an exciting uh, a new evolution we're seeing as well is that I don't even have to worry about the infrastructure and the cloud service and provider. I just look at the appropriate APIs and get that service. And we're seeing that now um, where, you know, I can imagine eventually that mobile phones and other mobile devices will not even have to have so much compute in them that the intelligence will be the edge, but they'll reach out and use various things for video rendering or uh, artificial intelligence or cybersecurity decision-making or high-performance computing, and then that will be a game-changer. Um, one of the other things that, that, that you mentioned there was um, when we think about uh, all of this exciting technology, um, you mentioned a couple of things just around where businesses are focusing on the outcomes and particularly you know, staying true to their core business. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing in 2020 that you're able to help people with is that they have in the past have to have their own capability in data centers, their own capability in cloud, their own capability in cybersecurity. It seems to me now a lot of the ecosystem that you've built out with all the partnerships you've got around the world from infrastructure through to service providers – that choice now becomes a big factor in driving outcomes for businesses where they can have more of an economic and commercially viable uh, ability to make decisions on which one of your partners they work with and which clouds they work with and what types of design models they have. Um, is that a trend you're going to see in 2020, do you think, where people can now bring more of a, a business and economic focus to the outcome delivery as opposed to just worrying about the types of flashing lights that are on the boxes? Because I think this is a big challenge we've been facing. It's that it can only run on one platform. It can only be available from one provider. Now we're sort of seeing these walls torn down, as you said before, where competitors might now be co-competing or co-opting and partnering to provide yeah. a much better and broader capability. And so I think this, you know, vendor A versus vendor B has gone away. I'd love your thoughts on that, that sort of future vision of 2020 and beyond, where I think Intel's been able to build these relationships with other companies and help foster those partnerships such that, the barriers between using vendor A and vendor B are gone now. And it's really looking at, well, how do we leverage that to drive the outcome as an organization? How do we leverage from both and still get a good outcome? Yeah, I think it's going to take us some time as an industry um, to, you know, fully commit to that. But that's the direction it's going. It's very similar to, you know, for those that are familiar with, you know, the, the web service evolution, right? It was very tightly coupled, you know, soap-based services. It was very hard to set up. That's where we're at today, um, you know, with a lot of these solutions that are running on, on both, you know, very purpose-built virtual machines or, or bare metal machines or even in cloud, uh, you know, provider solutions. And, and you know, the, the exciting part, just like, you know, services went from soap-based to really ubiquitous services with RESTful services, we're starting to see that 
same level of compatibility where, you know, an individual provider may have provided, you know, all sorts of rich services in their own ecosystem, but start to really cross-blend across deployments with things like Kubernetes and, and what's happening in those those rich HPIs and the services that, you know, work with Kubernetes operators and, you know, what happens in that framework. And, you know, I'll start to, you know, my prediction really is we'll see more consistent um, compatibility across those. And, and big providers, you know, all the big ISVs are really pursuing that, but, you know, while trying to, you know, um, still drive differentiation in their own stack. So, um the business outcome discussion will be will take some time, um, but we're already seeing that, right? Hey, you know, it's not about my ERP replatform. It's about what are the improved supply chain decisions I can make by by upgrading my ERP environment. Maybe going from you know traditional SAP to the SAP HANA suite of tools. And it's not about the cost of the upgrade. It's about what can HANA give me in that instance. Or hey, if I'm deploying to this cloud, hey, how can I reach this customer or drive this new market? Um, opportunity, you know, or or do different things with my business, and we see that um, quite heavily. But it takes a while to make that shift, to be honest with you. Um, and but I, I see it front and center in almost every board discussion that I'm in. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I would I would comment on with regard to the to what you're doing, and certainly what Intel's data center group has done is that maturity of of long term vision. That you know, yes, we want to get some some quick wins now from the business. We want to be able to get some good outcomes. But that, you're always upfront and honest about the fact that these things do take time. There's investments to be made. There's sunk costs to be borne. There's testing and development to be done. Nothing happens overnight at this scale. Um, you know, so much so that I, I remember getting excited recently um, when I saw a couple of weeks ago you know, the, the horse ridge chip and the fact that you know, quantum is now becoming a real thing for us. And I imagine eventually we'll go from you know, not just CPUs and GPUs and FPGAs and AI chips, but now quantum chips are going to end up in your data centers. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I think this is reassuring to me because I think a lot of people out there are talking about getting things done quickly and cheaply and whatnot, but they forget that you, you don't roll out this infrastructure overnight. And it reminds me of what 5G is all about. You know, we've sort of gone from 3 to 4 to 5G, and everyone thinks 5G is going to happen overnight. But the transition from 3 to 4G didn't happen overnight. It took 17 years. Transition from, you know, uh, 4G and onwards is not, you know, five, I mean, 5G is going to take five, six, seven years for us to even get to the point where the network infrastructure is rolled out, let alone the capability. And then it's going to have impact in your data centers and Intel chips will accommodate for all of that in, in various ways. So I think one of the things that I loved hearing there was just that that realistic view of, you know, these things take time and, and there is no magic silver bullet and we've got to work hard on it. And even exciting things like the, the horseshoe chip for quantum, it's going to take time to develop. It's going to take time to test and get out there. Well, I'd like to, and yeah. these are amazing insights and I really appreciate them. I mean, you've given us a great view of kind of where we've been in, in 2019 because it has been an exciting year, almost breathless exciting. I think 2020 <laughs> is going to be even more exciting and uh, I'm going to be carrying little uh, adrenaline pills around with me. I wonder if I, uh, I could ask you one last question before we wrap up, um, Bill. Yep. The, one of the things I love doing with my guests, and I really appreciate the amazing insights into this year so far and where we're going in 2020, and thank you for that. Um, and I, I love the consistent uh, messaging around focusing on, on sort of, you know, cloud and cybersecurity and AI, the big topics uh, and where they're going. Um, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball as a last question, if you don't mind, um, get you to gaze into this virtual crystal ball just momentarily and, and sort of ponder next 12 to 18 months beyond or even three to five years. Um, if there was a topic that you would advise people to start thinking about or an approach or a thinking or some something that's coming over the horizon, um, as quirky as it may be, what, 
crystal ball gazing wise, what, what do you see as sort of in the next 12 to 18 months sort of seeing come through? You know, it, a lot of people talk about the shift in autonomous things. Some people talk about intelligent uh, AI agents doing things. Others are sort of thinking about smart city infrastructure. In your world inside yeah. Intel, in the data center group, particularly in what you're doing in digital transformation around that space, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about in your mind if we were to crystal ball gaze for a moment that's just coming over the horizon that we should be talking about today? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll respond in the way where I'm spending most of my personal energy, right, which I think is reflective of where I think the industry will go. And I spend a lot of my personal time um, and my professional time working around, you know, how do we, you know, really secure the environment in a distributed world, right? I think distributed edge computing and multi-cloud is a reality. I think that becomes even more important with quantum computing, right, where the ability to penetrate traditional security, you know, controls, um, essentially it changes the game quite substantially in, in the level of encryption and entropy you need and, and the controls that you need and the base control. So I think, you know, I, I would encourage a lot of organizations to really, truly think about where they're deploying their capabilities to meet their business and where their users and customers are using it. And then where will it go in a, in a seamless way such that you're not having to bolt on and manage it after the fact? You've really got to get from the get-go a, a good strategy to handle distributed computing, right, edge and multiple clouds, um, and do that in a way that's consistent without a bunch of manual security controls. So you've got to have the, a secure platform from the foundation that's consistent everywhere they need it, right, and, you know, to, to – put it on home, that becomes critically important um, with edge computing and the emergence of more compute power, um, you know, with quantum computing that, that happens. So the earlier you get on that strategy, the easier you will be. And, and the good news is, you know, following a, you know, kind of a, a cloud native, right, architecture for the applications and a software-defined infrastructure, things that people are already starting to do. Um, you know, kind of get you there, but but security from the from the moment the system powers on, consistently deployed everywhere they need it. I think is what I would leave people with. Indeed, no, it's very sage advice. Uh, I think there's no better advice than uh, start now, don't delay. Because uh, uh, we 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 read regularly about organisations that leverage technology and, and new business models early and get a competitive advantage over the rest of the market, such that the market may never catch up. But at the same time, uh, what I often refer to as a steady eddy approach, which is small, natural, sensible steps. Don't bet the farm on it. And uh, no, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Well, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, spend an hour with you. Thank you so much for making time to to join me on the show. And I can't wait to have you back on the show. And I, I think you know you've outlined very clearly that 2019 was an exciting year, but more than ever, uh, you've left me very excited and enthused about what 2020 has for us uh, from the Intel brand and across your data center group, um, such that uh, I can't wait to touch base uh, early in 2020 and see where we're going from there. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm very excited. I, I think we end the year on a high note, and boy, things are just looking at a fast pace already for 2020. Indeed. Well, thanks for your time, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll have you on the show again soon. Yeah, thank you very much.